You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts, Ezra Beyer and David Hartkopf. Well, hey there, welcome to the Monday Christian Podcast again. Great to have you listening. And Dave, this is the first time we've been back doing this intro for about a month because we've been off and then... Last week, I ended up doing it all by myself. So The audience has been clamoring for these uh, delightful intros, as I'm certain of it. There's been an email or three. I'm certain that this has happened. Well, most statistics bear this out, that most people listen to our podcast for the first like three or four minutes, and then they just shut it off. This is That's this a, is where the, the meat of every conversation happens oh, right Oh, man. Here. Yeah. <laughs> as I'm, I'm certain that is the case. I, I have no doubt. If you hate this opening... Just skip, you know, six minutes in, boom, you're to the content. So um, maybe like I mean, three and a half. What, I'm not sure yeah. we usually make it that long, dude. <laughs> oh, well, man. The, hey, you were in California this week. How was that? Yeah, in California for three days, uh, Tuesday through Thursday, with a group of emerging missional thought leaders. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, as was texting me at various times from look to be very nice California at, at Fuller Seminary hanging out there. And it was you know, some some guys just are big time, and uh, that's right. He's my I, I, he's my friend, and uh, yeah, I was I was uh, I was happy that it seemed to give him energy. Well, so one of the things that's great, and I, I think I'll write on this at some point, but um, the the whole idea of sitting at other tables uh, and just listening to people who have different perspectives and thoughts, I think that's <clears throat> sometimes a. <sighs> One of the lines, I think it was um, Daniel Yang, he mentioned <clears throat> something to this degree. So sorry, Daniel, for re- paraphrasing you here. But he said, you know, you can make adjustments in your 30s that you can't in your 40s. You know, that sometimes you get in your 40s and then all of a sudden you're you're very, sometimes in some cases, monetarily tied to believing what you believe. And if you change that system, then you get lamb blasted and, and, you know, wow. And that's, that's one of the thoughts is that I had coming away from it is there's a price to pay sometimes for being willing to sit at other people's tables. And I think sometimes what happens in life is that we get very comfortable with our own tribes, very comfortable with, you know, people that think and act like us. And it honestly just becomes tiring uh, working with others, like in branching out. Um, But I think, you know, and certainly you can't do that all the time because if you do that all the time and you're constantly working with people that, you know, think differently, there's no synergy, you're not really able to move forward. Yeah. But I think there are different times when that is so valuable and refreshing because it helps you think about things from a different perspective. I know I'm, I'm going to bring on several of the leaders uh, that I chatted with. Just um, Yeah, as I think that one of the things for the, for the podcast over the last two years or however long I've been a part of this um, uh, podcast you started is that just the, to chat with people from different faith traditions um, and in con- conversing with them on air, off air, you can see that they really love the Lord and that they, it's like none of us has a complete, we are the church together, you know, that, that, that no single entity represents the church and that I am much poorer when I don't hear these other voices. I mean, even even just you know today bringing on Janice McWilliams, just her her hopeful, Christ centered talking about self care was so helpful to me. Even this afternoon reading reading some of her books, sort of preparing for the interview and and chat, 
man, I would be so much poorer. I, I was talking with my wife at lunch about something that she said in the book. I was like, we've kind of talked about this and I've never been able to articulate like she says this. And it's like, man, if I would not be able to, to sit with her at a table and talk, I would never have the opportunity to learn from her, from exactly. others in the body of Christ. And I, yeah, I sociologically, I get the, the risk you take when talking to other people. And sometimes, like you said, there's a, there's a cost for, and there's a cost to, sort of rise to levels of leadership within certain tribes of people. I mean, yeah, yeah. I understand well, the like, boppedness. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. I was talking to my f new friend, I guess, Isaiah Robertson, and he pastors in LA, pastored in Atlanta for a number of years, uh, works in a black church in LA. And he was talking about that. And he gets, he's very passionate about the history of the African-American church and, um, and that Barna released research, I don't have the exact data on it, but uh, saying essentially that while a lot of evangelical churches are struggling, the black church continues to grow and, and is, is um, um, you know, continuing to flourish at a higher extent. And so his point was, why aren't we taking lessons from this? And, and that this mm. is often a common theme that sometimes we say, we make generalizations like the church in the West is doing this when we're not really taken into consideration that there's different pockets where um, the church is actually thriving and why aren't we doing more to, to learn uh, from those pockets that are thriving. And so again, just the whole idea of sitting and learning from, from different people is, is helpful. So, but let's go ahead and get, let's get to Janice here. Uh, Janice, you know, sometimes uh, when publishers are reach out to us, you know, about bringing different people on, Honestly, just sometimes I'm hesitant, right? Because I'm like, oh, is their material actually good or does it fit with what we're wanting to accomplish here? And I had a chance to review um, Restore My Soul. That's her, her book that he, she just wrote. And fantastic read. Highly yep. recommend it before we get into this interview. Absolutely. And, uh, it's so needed at this point, you know, with high levels of anxiety, depression that people of my generation and people that are younger face. Uh, this is such a timely conversation. And before we get into it, anything quick that struck you that you want to highlight? Uh, I mean, honestly, I think the the connection that she makes to, I know the the Enneagram sort of the rage right now. And so just her connection between self-care, Enneagram numbers, and perhaps what you're, if you're, if you're in this, you know, if you're an Enneagram one or a six or a four, something that things you would tend to struggle with and sort of the way forward. See, I love in, I love in chatting with her too, you know, just, I, be, I believe that there there's hope there. It's not just identifying problems, but, but ways forward that yeah. I think you'd find helpful in her writing. Yep. Super practical. So let's go ahead and get into the, into this interview, Janice McWilliams. Uh, she has nourished a lifelong curiosity about human nature. This has propelled her to serve in campus ministry to speak and train groups in churches and organizations, and to work as a therapist, spiritual director, and writer. So let's go ahead and get into this conversation with Janice McWilliams. Well, our guest on the podcast today is Janice McWilliams, and it's great to have her on. So Janice, thank you for joining us today. You're so welcome. I'm glad to be here. Well, all the way from Baltimore. So that's right. Great to have. I think you're our first person that we brought on from Baltimore, yeah. oh, if I, I remember right. So you're really? representing today. That's right. Okay. Yes. Proud to. <laughs> what do we need well, to know about Baltimore? 
so nothing so assume that our audience has only heard pejorative things about Baltimore. I know, there's, what there's are more the Baltimore than the wire um okay the, the TV <laughs> okay yeah. um we take our crab really seriously here okay. um and maryland uh football is really you know it's the also terps big i know it's the terps yeah. my son was in the marching band for the oh, cool. yeah, what instrument did he play i'm a band nerd um, i'm a band you know teacher what? Oh, okay. He played yep. low bass drum, which oh, cool. was such a thrill for us as parents because we could always hear him and see him. And <laughs> and you could and that's not true for most band parents. Yeah, yeah. So if he has back problems at 40, it's because he was carrying that I thing know, around for I miles know. at a time, eh? <laughs> big, big. Sorry, Ez. Meanwhile, back at the Monday Christian Ranch. Uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, the last video that I watched or, or earlier this last week, I was watching something on Baltimore. And sure enough, it was on crabs. So... They stuck with the the stereotype. There you go. Um, let's back up in time here. How did you first come to faith in Christ? Well, I grew up as a preacher's kid in the United Methodist Church in Alabama, and I in that church background for me was a really solid base in the idea that God loved me and accepted me, and I I had I was one of those kids you know had church. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, most Saturdays, you know, like we church stuff was happening all the time. I went to a camp, um, Camp Sumatanga in Alabama, that was even more deepening for me and my just desire to love and know God. When I was 15 years old, I moved to Northern Virginia and my we were still involved in the Methodist church, but my kind of sense of of community and kind of feeling really drawn to God sort of grew more thin and anemic in those years in high school. And I grew more kind of spiritually lost and confused such that I had a really devastating breakup right before I went to college. And I went to college determined to figure out what my faith was about because I saw like my whole life had been centered around this relationship with this boy he broke my heart and I was just, I just had nothing. And, yeah. and I remembered these times of feeling like I had a more solid foundation. So when I went to college, um, then I started in earnest really pursuing, like, how can I learn more? How can I know more? And I found my way into an university Bible study. And in the Bible study, the leader did this crazy thing where we opened the Bible and the leader would sort of ask questions and I would say, oh my gosh, the answer to that question is right here <laughs> in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. that that was like, you know, this is kind of crazy for me. And it was very, um, very interesting and eye-opening. I got drawn into the gospels and was um, going to university meetings and to, to um, church where people were kind of talking about Jesus more than I had ever heard before. And it was over the course of my freshman year that I really understood what it might mean to follow Jesus and give my life to Jesus and trust Jesus more completely. And, and so it was a completion, I felt like, of my background to mm. really come to understand what it meant to follow Jesus. It's interesting to just talk to several people lately that whether it's Campus Crusade for Christ, now Crew, InterVarsity, mm -hmm. um, I wonder how much that's changed in in recent months, because it feels like there was a generation, especially early thousands, nineties, all that, that, that era, um, where sometimes today it feels like the conversation and the way we approach faith or we think we should approach faith 
with young adults is very nuanced, is careful, guarded. Um, but there's really something to be said about clearly just sharing this is how to come to faith in Christ. This is how, and I, I wonder if that's something that we miss today um, because it feels like for a certain number of years, that was a high emphasis. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. No, I mean, I, I still, um, just this fall, I spoke at an university fall conference for students and, and it can become a little bit of a quagmire, you know, like how, what, what's going to trigger people. Mm-hmm. Um, right. What's going to, what's going to um, set people's church trauma off and, you can't say this or make sure the story doesn't go in this direction. I had to like vet all my stories with a little committee, you know, before mm. the, before the um, conference to just kind of make sure like, you know, one, it would be relevant, but two, not, not um, maybe tipping off landmines. I didn't mean to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there, there is kind of this sense of at the end of the day, the message of trusting Jesus is really very profound but it's very simple. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I had to kind of pull back to, like, okay, everyone is very worried about the students being triggered. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm kind of worried about that too. But, but like this, this is a simple story. Um, Jesus has come to earth on God's giant rescue mission. Mm. And, and he is the good shepherd and we are the sheep and we want to be found. And, mm following the good shepherd is the best life you can possibly have. Okay. So I, so that, that just, just kind of come back to the message and, and what does it mean to be rescued and, and to trust the rescuer. So I like that, that for me, I, I feel like it is, it's hard to, um, I, I don't know that this is particular only to this generation, but, but it, of, of college students, but, there's always a language, you know, and there are always things that fall out of favor or become, um, you know, harmful words or harmful idea, you know, ideas that are laden with so much pain. Um, and I think that it can become, you know, people can become intimidated to say much of anything. It's, yeah, that's true. It's huge. Yeah, that's, that's profound. I, I wonder, as we have so many people on when they when they share about the stories. Uh, I think a lot of the come to faith in Christ start similar to yours, raised in a pastor's home, raised raised in church, mm-hmm. have these crises of faith when I have deeper questions, something happens. And it often seems like the way through is back to something pretty basic, but it's also like embodied in a community. I had a guy, mm-hmm. I had a professor that spent a lot of time with me, or I had this crew, like Ez was saying, we uh, Campus Crusade, we just sat down, we studied the Bible we sang songs together. We, we asked deep questions. There was nothing off limits. Mm-hmm. We loved uh, Jay Kim as member. We loved each other enough to tell each other the truth sort of vibe. Like mm-hmm. there, it just seems like there's just such a common thread through all of this. Do you, do you find in your counseling background work, do you, do you feel like the, the students now, are they more lonely, isolated than students 20, 30 years ago? Is the way forward still some sort of embodied small? I, I don't know. What What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I completely believe that the power of kind of Christian community and authentic friendship is the, you know, the ideal of the way anybody 
follows Jesus. You know, the idea of, of um, being in, in groups and being in, in the church um, and in community following Jesus is the way it, the way it started with the 12 disciples, you know, there was a group. Um, and I mean, a lot of the college students right now are, you know, they're COVID um, kids, you know, coming, coming out of being fairly isolated in high school and then coming to college. And, and so even a lot of people who might normally have kind of grown up with a certain kind of church experience that might've been really disrupted um, and so people, people are coming to college with maybe, maybe that was intact, but maybe not, you know, even, even those you would expect would. And, and there's even a lot of, my son has even talked to me about this, just, just a lot of social anxiety and like, did we forget how to do this you know, friendship thing? Um, yeah. and people, you know, trying to kind of find their way and find their place of belonging. And I think that there is so much loneliness and so many people struggling struggling with mental health issues and admitting they're struggling with mental health issues so there's the it's okay to admit it but there's the reality of like 25 percent of the population has a you know a, a, a mental health um issued anxiety or depression and it's something like more like 38 percent of young people so i mean folks are folks are coming in needy into that phase of life right now and um, needing help and needing spaces to be loved and to belong. I th So I want to circle back to something here and we'll, we'll get to some of the stuff you've written, but one of the things I, I've been thinking about is how to have the conversation well, because like you said, there's trigger words, right? And what's interesting, I, I think of even now as opposed to eight, nine, nine years ago, when I walk into a room, like in this last week, I was with a room of very diverse leaders and all, parts of the country. You have to you have to be very careful and nuanced when you talk about any matters of race, um, gender. Um, it, I mean, that's just Politics. a few, but then sexual ab or abuse in the church, not just sexual, sexual abuse, but just abuse in the church, abuse of power. You have to be very careful about how, and, and there's kind of two sides to that. There's one, maybe we could call it the old school side, that is, you know, people just need to get over it and move forward. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, the opposite extreme where it is, um, I guess as I'm doing this, I'm listening to Prince Harry's autobiography. Right. And it's, it's good, but there's, there's parts of it of that I'm, I'm sitting there listening. And for those in our audience that have read it or listened to it, um, there's parts of it that feel like, in my opinion, it's pretty, can be kind of self-consuming where there's a lot of talk about like, ah. and so, how, I guess how do you balance those two those two extremes of just push through as opposed to um, kind of focusing? I think one of the illustrations you gave of someone that after George Floyd and all that and how it's easy to just focus on the anger of that. That's a just feeling, but you can't live there. So how do you balance those things? What do you think? So as I yeah, because I, I was I was struck by this in your writing as well. How how do the in your case when you go to talk to someone you have to be aware of these words and the context and whom you're speaking to so knowing your audience so how much of that is on the 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 speaker and then how much responsibility does the listener have to listen charitably right so i, I there's just i mean it's, it's in the best in the best situations i think that that both both speaker and listener are, are take are owning and taking responsibility. I mean, I had an experience with a client just this week when I 
I got um, pronouns wrong, you know, and, and, and I just had to say, you know, sorry. It, like, I know, I know you, you prefer to be referred to and with these pronouns and I, I miss, missed it. And, and the person was very gracious about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, might not have gone that way. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so there's, there's like the learning, um, learning to be sensitive or, or to, to work with, like, how do people want to be referred to and, and what are they asking of me that, you know, if I'm in the speaking space, but then also being able to ask forgiveness and apologize, you know, being able to, um, to, to heal when we mess up. I mean, I, I, one thing that's really so hard to me about cancel culture that we're in, you know, is that if you, if you mess, if, if you do mess up, you're done, you know, you're, you're canceled. And, and usually that only happens when there's something pretty grievous that happens, but sometimes it feels like, you know, it, it was a mistake. There's an open-hearted person on the other end of that. And that's when I feel like, Oh, you know, it's yeah. a, it's, this is so difficult. And, and um, my, I know, I know in in the places I'm in in therapy where it's it's just one on one, there's a real different. The stakes are are not quite as high just because yeah. we have earned this kind of loving relationship already. But but I think when you when you back up the camera and you're speaking to big events, that's where you know being being occasionally asked to like, can we meet to hear your stories before you speak at this thing? Like that's actually not bad protocol, you know, for, for people who are, who are having a bigger stage and a bigger platform to potentially speaking, um, to, to folks who are, um, just listening from afar and to know how, who is my audience? What do yeah. I need to be sensitive, you know, yeah. to? Yeah. When we talk about the whole topic of self-care, um, mm-hmm. even that topic alone, you address this a little bit in your book, um, you know, some people, again, I think maybe it depends sometimes on the generation, but then in in terms of like where you've grown up and the thoughts you have associated with that word. Um, When you start using that word Mm self-care, do you find people naturally lean into it or lean push back on it? That's a great question. (laughs) I'm like, depending on the day, I'm either way. I'm either like, oh no, self-care, mental health Monday, or I'm just like, wow, I need some I need some self-care. I'm not doing really well right now. Right. People, people have the reactions all over the, the spectrum. Yeah. And I get, I get really irritated when people hold the kind of that idea of self-care that's I think being pushed out by the media a lot, which is that, you know, self-care is a um, spa day or it's, it's <laughs> an occasional thing you do that's usually super expensive requires tons of childcare, you know, or, or you're yeah. like just getting away from everything, shutting everything down and doing your, you know, me time or fishing trip or, or whatever. And like, I, I'm all for that stuff. But what I realized is that the, that kind of idea of self-care is, is driving people to, to this idea that if I just do that occasionally, I've done it, you know, check self-care, did it, you know, and then they can just go back to their life that is completely unsustainable and not working day to day. And then that's what drives me crazy because when I'm working with clients, 
inevitably, no matter what's going on with them, like if they, if they have external stressors, that they have like a, a diagnosable mood disorder or something like that, no matter what's going on, there comes that time in the session when I'm saying, I'm pivoting and saying, okay, how can you feel better tomorrow? Because it like people under stress are people with, with real mental health issues. The way to getting out of that, it's in the hours and in the days. Nobody's going to get cured from depression by having a spa day. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So mm. I, I want to crack open the idea of self-care is applied to our hours and our days more than just this idea of like the, the kind of fun or replenishing things that we might do. I mean, what, what ends up happening is that those occasional stopgap self-care things end up being um, like recovery from a life that isn't working instead yeah. of what they ought to be, which is just replenishment on top yeah. of, you know, what you're doing in your life. What do you, what do you mean? Uh, I think it was maybe the er, first chapter or maybe even the intro, you, mm -hmm. you kind of called some of these practices um, one dimensional, one dimensional yeah. self-care. What did you mean by that? And yeah. also uh, tell us a little bit about uh, self-care Barbie. Cause that was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if you could ask me, um, I was, I was writing this book and my friend like texted me, Oh my gosh, Janice, there's a line of self-care Barbies. You know, and I looked them <laughs> up. I think they're called wellness Barbies or something. And there is there's spa day Barbie, you know, retreat day Barbie and yoga three with me Barbie. Um, of course I bought the whole line of Barbies. <laughs> I made a bunch of Barbie videos where Barbie learns about real self-care, but, but oh, anyway, that's awesome. Oh my gosh. They're so fun. They're on my Instagram, you know, page. <laughs> um, but, but, but this, this idea of the occasional, you know, that self-care means pampering yourself, you know, basically that's one dimensional, right? I mean, that's great. Pamper yourself. Right. But it's not enough to, to have a restored soul. It's not enough for your life to be doable and sustainable. Um, some people might say, I'm doing self-care, um, I'm doing a whole 30, you know, or I'm ketoing or what up, blah, 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 mm -hmm. you know, like that. So, <laughs> so that's that's great too. I mean, and that's wonderful self-care, but if that's what you think of as self-care, generally speaking, that's kind of one dimensional. It's just about your diet, you know, or, you know, I'm practicing self-care, I'm, I'm training for a half marathon, you know, awesome do that. You know, it, it is, it's a part of self-care, but if that's your idea of complete self-care, it's kind of one dimensional. It's just addressing your physical body. So I, I mean, what I've, what I've really tried to do in, in my book, but certainly my work with all my clients is that for self-care to really be um, working to help you feel better overall in your days, in your, in your days and weeks, um, whether you're in a busy season or a, a light season, it kind of needs to address your inner world. And, and I have these four realms that I think, you know, everybody needs to have, like it needs to address your thoughts, your emotions, your rhythms, and, and a sense of fulfillment. So all of these are important to kind of a complete sort of soul restoring, real life sustainable self-care that I, I hope people will capture. Walk us through those. Okay. Thoughts. Nothing impacts how you feel more than your thinking. So if you just imagine like you're, you're um, worrying 
about something that may happen. Like let's let's say your podcast gets um, slammed with toxic reviews and you're publicly humiliated, right? It, I mean, this after this happen. exchange, it'll be all positives. <laughs> but let's say you're worrying about that right. happening for 15 minutes. So how are you going to feel at the end of those 15 minutes? You're going to feel terrible, right? Yeah. Um, so so what, what we think impacts how we feel, period, more than anything. In fact, I would even say that even horrible, horrible life circumstances, I mean, they're gonna, it's going to impact how we feel for sure. But the way we think about our life circumstances is probably going to impact how we feel even more. And so addressing how we think is mission critical in soul restoring self-care that helps your life feel okay. So learning to recognize the kind of thoughts you tend to pull to is important. And then how to, how to make an impact there is very important. Emotions. So a lot of, a lot of people, um, Christians and, and, Christians especially, I think, tend to feel like some emotions are off limits. They're really bad if I experience them. And so I'm just going to not. <laughs> and they may, they do all this mental effort in avoiding certain emotions. And my thing is like, this, this, there is no better place for you to experience whatever emotions are coming up and in your relationship with Jesus. So many of my clients, I'll say, hey, you know, that difficult thing that's coming up, like, how are you doing? Are you bringing that into your relationship with Jesus? Or what's it like when you're praying about that? And they're like, I'm not talking to Jesus about that. You know, I got to fix that. And then, <laughs> and then talk to yeah. Jesus. I, just, I do my devotion and it's, da, 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 but my actually what's happening is over here. Right. You know, yeah. I'm tell him. Um, so this, this ends up being like something that really breaks my heart. And then I, I mean, over and over again, I'm like, okay, what would it look like? to bring that into your relationship with Jesus. So it, just being able to experience your emotions without trying to shove them down. This is a big reality around mental health and Christians have so many hangups doing that. Um, the life rhythms piece comes into, you know, we have rhythms in our years and I love it when people have like fast times of their life and slow times of their life. That's very good. You know, that, that they can predict these things rhythms in their months, rhythms in their weeks, but very few people think well about rhythms in your days. You know, if you wake up and you go into high gear, how do most of us wake up? Alarm goes off on our phone. We pick up our phone. We, yeah, thank you. As yeah. Well. We look, we, we check our email, we see the headlines and we have all this stress hormone going into our body before we even brush our teeth. Right. So we're like, you know, your, your brain's in high gear. Like if this is average output and then you're kind of, you know, your higher output and your lower output, like a lot of us wake up revved up and we stay revved up all day until we crash with the phone, you know, falling onto our noses as we fall asleep at night. <laughs> so, so it's, there's, there's not good rhythms in the day. You know, so I'm, I'm really passionate about that. We can talk more about that. But then the fulfillment piece, I feel like is another big one. If we are not doing something fulfilling to us in most of our days, we're just not going to feel great. That's just a fact. And now what is fulfilling can be a small, it can be a small thing. Like I had a neat interaction with my roommate, you know, or I, 
I did focused work and got something done. That can be fulfilling. Um, mm -hmm. I, a, a really solid, juicy prayer time can be fulfilling. Um, but it can also just be checking something off your to-do list that's been irritating you. So it can be, I mean, lots of things are fulfilling, but everything gets in the way of fulfillment if we let it. Yeah. And, and so being in area, I think is huge for the kind of self-care that means something over time. So if you were talking to somebody that's maybe in, in just hearing you describe those, and of course you sort of tie them to the Enneagram, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, in those four years, thoughts, emotions, rhythms, fulfillment. If when 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 you when you said when you would describe them, somebody was like, "I struggle with that or that." Any of the four. Yeah. What opening advice would you give in each of those areas? Like, hey, here's here's a conversation starter about your thoughts. Like, here here's something that could help. Uh, obviously, read the book, right? But like, if <laughs> yes. you're just talking, we're trying to get our audience push towards your material and also just as a conversation starter in each of the four areas, what's yeah. the way forward? Okay. That's a good question. In the thoughts um, section of the book, I talk about most of us tend to, to identify that we worry or we ruminate or we despair, you know, like the, the, we do more things than that, but let's just say you like loosely. And this is, you know, a lot of times connected to our, Enneagram type and all kinds of all kinds of parts of our personality and our family of origin and all the things. But um, worry tends to be a cognitive process that looks to the future. What if blank intercatastrophe here? <laughs> Rumination tends to look to the past. Why did I do that? Blank, you know, inter stupid thing you did here. And despair is more like, I'll never feel better. I'm always going to be like this. Nothing is going to change. Um, so the, those are like loosely, those are the three things we tend to do. Learning to recognize those things. And I think for those of us, particularly who are followers of Jesus, like we want to know the voice of the good shepherd. We want to be wow. able to recognize the voice of the good shepherd. Those three things are not the voice mm. of the good shepherd. Right. And that, that like, you know, Jesus is never going to say too bad. You're such a loser. You know, your whole life is going to fall apart. Like that's just, that's not how Jesus is going to talk to you. Right. And being able to recognize where your brain tends to pull or the kind of thoughts that intrude on you. And that's not your fault, by the way, by the way, it's not your fault. Um, but the, the kind of thoughts that tend to come up for you, that's, that's like to, to, to look at, you know, think about that. Am I a worrier, a ruminator or a despairer? And, and to try to identify how much does that happen? I think that's a starting place. And, and, and to just hear me say, that's not the voice of God in your life. Um, so how, how, how do you distinguish um, between healthy guilt on healthy shame? Okay. Wow. Ezra, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I know. Cause we were just talking about it this week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and Lots even, even when I'm generalizing here, Mm -hmm. you know, that were worry, rumination and despair tend to right. be these cognitive processes that are not representing the voice of God. There, there are, are um, healthy guilt and healthy shame. Guilt is a wonderful emotion that comes up when we have done, when we have, we have done wrong, when we've broken our moral code and we have a wonderful solution. And the solution is 
repentance or asking forgiveness or making amends. So guilt, we feel guilt. We recognize that we did something outside of our moral code and we have a solution, you know, repent or what have you. But we also experience guilt when we have internalized an external message. So something like, I'm never supposed to disappoint anyone, say. Um, so you, so we also feel guilt, but it's because we've internalized an external message like that, but it could be anything, right? It could be like, help all people all the time. You know, um, it could be always, um, always do your best and, and, um, you know, excel at everything, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, you might have all kinds of internalized messages. So the solution though, when you experience guilt, because you have an internalized message is highly individualized personal work, right? And this has everything to do with kind of who we are and our upbringing and our personality and all these things. But the kind of messages that you tend to internalize um, are you, you have them for deeply complicated reasons. And so the personal work around them is, you know, to untangle that and to realize maybe I don't have to do everything everyone asks me to do. Maybe it's okay that I disappoint people sometimes. Like that's, that's hard work to do. Now the problem yeah. is when we're over here experiencing the internalized message kind of guilt, but we apply the solution for, you know, what I would call the guilt that is associated with actually breaking your moral code. So mm. you think you're never supposed to disappoint someone. And so you repent, right? Then you, you scramble to make sure no one is disappointed, right? So this is, a I call, you know, the, the, the one kind of guilt when it's associated with breaking your moral code, true guilt. And then the guilt that's associated with the internalized message is more um, false guilt or not so helpful guilt, right? They yeah. feel the same, but we've got to like dive in a little bit to see where we are and to know which solution to apply. That is incredibly helpful. Yeah. Thank you. When you think about where people are at now, I know John Eldridge, he just wrote, oh man, what's the name of his book that just came out? Um, oh, something on, on similar lines where, where the need to replenish our souls were coming out of COVID. Um, it's just there, people have become so anxious and it, there's no secret. I think, you know, Gen Z and even many millennials um, record highs in anxiety, depression. And I think there's a lot to be said just about the simple connection between media and, and what that does. Right. I think there's a lot to be said there. Um, what's the state as you would talk to clients as you do every day, how has that shifted over the last five, six years? Have our anxieties, have our fears, have they shifted in a dramatic way? Um, and so for our listeners, um, what should they most be on guard against these days, I guess, coming out of COVID and, and all that we face today? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that one of the big shifts that's been over a, a, a many years in the making, but just is the access we have to the 24 hour news cycle and the the impact on our bodies of, of having something kind of uh, just dump stress hormone into our lives so frequently, you know, basically almost every time we pick up the phone, mm -hmm. we're going to, it's going to be a mix of blessing and 
you know, happy hormone and stress hormone. I mean, you'll have a little bit of happy hormone, like, oh, my friend texted me, or I got 48 likes on my post, or, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have some happy things happen, right? You'll get happy hormone. But you're also going to get, oh, my goodness, look at this news headline. And uh, like another report came out and, oh, my gosh, all my, you know, all my uh, friends are having lunch without me. You know, like (laughs) all this, all this stuff is going to also come at it. And um, I'll often do workshops where I, where where we'll, we'll all just practice picking up our phones and, you know, look at it for 15 seconds to see what happens. And everyone's like, you know, after the 15 seconds, they're, they're kind of churned up. Right. I'm like, imagine if you do that three or four times a day, you know, and everyone just dissolves in laughter. Right. Because <laughs> right, I mean, the, right. the, I mean, we're all picking up our phones Something like I think the average is like 300 times a day. Right? Yeah. Just the just the amount of stress hormone going into our bodies is is astounding and difficult to, to deal with. And that's that's where like the. Um, in the rhythms chapter, you know, David, to your question, like, what's one thing people can do on that? I, I love to talk about just a better break because every time any, I mean, any of, I mean, not any of us, I'll say most of us, when you have a little, a little break or a little letdown, most of us grab our phones, right? Which is, again, is fine, but the better break, I'm saying, well, how about a couple of times a day you don't do that and do something that actually um, kind of resets your brain or helps you kind of downshift into sort of a slower gear, right? So mindfully drinking a cup of tea, um, listening to, um, you know, doing doing kind of midday prayers or listening to music or something, which might involve touching your phone. I realize that some of this is complicated to apply. But basically, yeah. like, can you institute just one better break in your life? Yeah. So like when, when COVID started and all the counseling sessions went online, um, that was a big shift for all of us in, you know, in the world of mental health. And I had a group supervision with other therapists and we talked about like, this is not only is that hard to shift to online, but everybody wants to talk to us about the things that we are actually freaking out about too. (laughs) Like That's hard counseling to do, you know, if you think yeah. you're wondering, um, we were talking about how do we care about ourselves for ourselves in this? And I made this decision that in between sessions, I was going to do um, like a, a couple of yoga stress stretches, like a sun salutation while doing breath prayer. And it only took me like two minutes to do, to do in between my sessions. I did that um, instead of just spending the whole time answering emails or getting something done or checking my phone and all that. And, and so that meant like in a, course of a counseling day you know maybe I did that four or five times and it it was huge what a difference it made and it really didn't take you know more than seven to ten minutes a day to do but it's just that it gave my my day some variation right yeah. and not just yeah. no it's it that that stuff's huge i mean i think of just simple things that i've put into practice the last couple of months nothing crazy um but the last year i've i've took I, well i took email off my phone and i took Ooh, you know media off my phone i mean a lot so i recognize some people can't do that but for me it's just my phone i realized pretty much all my dissatisfaction was coming from it yeah <laughs> <laughs> right. there's a lot of great stuff like podcast and things like that but i just mm-hmm. realized 
over and over again, my dissatisfaction was coming from that. And so cutting those things, um, for me, I, I am in a place where I can check email when I'm at my computer. I don't have to check it multiple times a day. Yep. And and so I think that's a big thing for me was just saying, what are those things I can get away with not doing, right? Yep. And, and and just pulling back. I mean, Dave, I know you've, you've made adjustments. Yeah, uh, my wife, uh, she got off Facebook and all this stuff several months ago and just said, this is not redeemable anymore for me. And then increasingly, she's like, I don't think it's redeemable for you either. And uh, <laughs> so shocker, uh, I am now uh, off the Facebook. And it's it's true. And it's my to this, Janice, if you if you're saying that this is in introducing stress or stress hormones to people, um, is that is that connected to maybe like a lack of resilience or grit that maybe you would see in someone that does that a lot like i think the common you know angela duckworth's work around grit and it seems like in a lot of the educational stuff i'm reading right now how do we get students to have more resilience how do how do we get people to have more grit you know grandpa stormed the beach at normandy now we're they're just common thing i'm just wondering if there's a day you know yeah Yeah, exactly yeah exactly and so is, is there a connection oh david i am so passionate about I, I want every every person and certainly every young person to to know when I feel bad, I know something that will help me feel better. Right? It's not just like that 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 just that that switch from life's so hard and I'm and I'm completely on my back heel afraid of it to like, oh, I can do something about this. I feel bad and I know what to do. You know, even if my circumstances are really hard, I know I'm going to feel better if I take a walk around the block than if I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be feel, feel better if I reach out to a friend than if I don't like the, the, I I'm just, I want, and that, that will increase people's sense of resiliency and grit. Like I have, I, you know, I've done these workshops sometimes where um, people are, are afraid of, I mean, the, the idea of like having a busy season or ever working um, extended hours or like crunch time academically or something, they're like, that's wrong and terrible. And it, it'll mess up my mental health and I just can't do it. And I won't. I'm like, well, okay. But you know, (laughs) like what, when did we become so afraid of those kinds of seasons. Like it's, it's okay. Like you can, you can do these things well. And you know, it's, it's just one of those things. I'm like, most jobs have busy seasons. You know, most, most students have to have crunch times. Like it's, it's, it's hard to, and and even when you have external stressors, like your, your parents are ill or, um, you know, it's your, 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 your four kids are all in, you know, different, um, sports, you know, like, like there's just times in life where it's, it's full and bananas, but can, do you know how to help yourself feel better in the midst of that? That's what I want people to know how to do. Yeah. I think that's so important because you otherwise, you know, I would say you, you end up using, sometimes I hear words that I think are really serious and should be reserved for serious times. You know, uh, I'll like the word trauma. I feel like it's such a loaded word that gets used a ton. And I would never want to minimize anybody's trauma that they've experienced. And also, 
if that is always the default setting, sometimes I I feel like it's it's minimizing what it actually is. Does that make sense? Like mm -hmm. this somehow working an eight hour day would be traumatic, you know, and I don't know. I'm 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 not speaking this question very clearly. But let, I, let me sh share a personal example real quick here. I, yeah. I think so. Several years ago, I struggled with severe depression. So you know, a couple of years, right? And that was obviously very hard to go through. And sometimes, you know, spiritual advisors, it's more like, well, you know, God must be having you in a season. And then counseling, it's more like, well, you know, here's st specific things to walk through. And then the doctor, well, here's some antidepressants. And everyone has their their lens through which they share, right? And and for me, so I, I found different things helpful. But one of the things, um, you know, simply uh, Johan Hari's book, A Lost Connections, was very helpful to me because it emphasized the importance of how was I relating to things in this world. Yeah, most of it is talking about connections to other people, but also connections in your mind. How how are you thinking that way? And when I began to systematically look at my life. I realized that he, I think he lists like nine lost connections that sometimes people have. I realized that in all nine of those areas, I was struggling, right? And there were specific wow. things that had happened. And then that gave me kind of a path forward where all these things, right? I have to be in doing this. Don't then. I'm going to feel significantly worse. And what that did was it didn't throw in me extra weight where I have to do this, right? And I have to work myself out of depression, but it, it gave me a path forward where I could actually do something. And so I like, there was hope then again, like hope was restored. And I know everyone's journey is different, but like, you know, that was something that, that really helped me. And so, you know, uh, I guess, I'm not quite sure the exact question to ask from that, but that's, you know, I guess everyone's journey is a little bit different, but. Yeah. Um, well, and I love with what you're saying is that that book gave you some clear things to do, even though you were depressed that were helpful to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and I, I want people to have an arsenal of spiritual resources exactly. and physical resources and just you know, patterned rhythm resources and, and ways, ways in particular to who they are and what is most difficult for them to know, like, what is going to be helpful to me. Um, and that, that becomes really, I think, I think like one of the tragedies I see um, that kind of speaks into both of these things is that, that I see more people really afraid to make commitments to really fulfilling, meaningful kind of ministry type things um, because they're afraid they're going to burn out. Um, they, they've somehow got this idea, like if I, if I take on extra things or if I do this kind of unwieldy, difficult ministry thing, then it's probably going to be really bad for my mental health. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. How do we get here? You know, Following Jesus into the things of kingdom living is not, Jesus doesn't want us to burn out. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, that's not that Jesus came to give us a rich and satisfying life. And so what will happen a lot of times is I'll have people come to see me after they've, they've gotten overwhelmed with um, life in some ways and haven't known how to take care of themselves or do some of the things we've been talking about here and they quit everything. And then they come and see me like, you know, so we can get this all fixed. 
right? And then a month or so into the work, when we're getting, you know, stabilized a little bit, the person's like, oh my gosh, I really miss the international student Bible study that I was leading. Mm. I, I miss the leaders gathering and the, the time I would pray with my friends every, every week about what was going on with us, you know, because they, but because yeah. they quit everything, yeah. they're not doing any of those things. Yeah. Right. So it's like all the, the fulfilling, yeah, the fulfilling things are gone. Right. As they're trying to take care of themselves. And then I'm mm-hmm. like, but then you're going to have a crisis of fulfillment. Right. And, and right. you're not going to feel good, you know? So there's, there's a way, like, how can you be leaning into these things and doing these, these things in a way with the things in place in your life that help you know how to pivot and feel better in the hours, the moments, hours, and days of your life. Because you're only, I mean, Ezra, from your experience of having experienced true depression, like a day feels better because of a few more of the hours in the day felt better. Hmm. You know, an hour feels better because a few more of the minutes within the hour felt better. Yeah. And then you string together a few days that felt a little bit better you have a better week. Like that's how this goes. This isn't like feel terrible, go on a fishing trip <laughs> and you're cured. Yeah. yeah. This is, you know, that that's, that's not how it goes. Like it, it's, it's in these small decisions and being able to address like my inner world is not doing too well, but I know, I know some things I can do regarding my thoughts. I know some things I can do regarding my feelings and my relationship. Mm. With I know some things about the rest of this day in terms of rhythms or fulfillment that are going to help me feel better. Yeah, yeah. So that's and your capacity grows as you do that. That's yeah. the thing, your capacity. Yeah. And and they, they work hand in hand, right? You, you cut off all these relationships and then you're going to focus on yourself. Well, <laughs> you, you're missing one of the primary ways that God chooses to give life into you and, and give strength to you. And, all, and, and as you give, you know, he, it, you find replenishment, right? Absolutely. Um, one of the most profound verses, oh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it here, but Isaiah, when he talks about, um, oh, give yourself to the, when you basically, when you feel depleted, give of yourself to the broken and the needy and things like that. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact, exact verse. Um, but I remember one of my lowest points, right? Thinking about that. And making being intentional that even when I was at my lowest to going out and and that's a practice we still try to do to this day that to go and help people that are struggling worse because yeah. some way through that that there's healing that I experienced through that yeah. and there, there's days like you know and I'm speaking to those in our audience but to myself as well you know you get frustrated with what's happening in the church you get frustrated with what's happening in different faith-based communities and it is it's so mm-hmm. tempting to just kind of pull back and say self-care says that I need to just focus on myself but mm-hmm. what I love about what you're sharing is that it, it's so much more inclusive yes mm-hmm. self-care comes but it, it also comes as we stay in strong connection to God yeah. his people and that kind of stuff so um, Absolutely. I love what you're saying. Yeah. Well, great stuff here. Oh, well, so next steps for people, people are listening mm-hmm. to this and I'm assuming um, we have some that are listening that uh, they're at a pretty rough spot in their walk with God. Maybe not spiritually, but just, I don't know. It's it's a struggle for them right now and next steps uh, for them. Well, I love the better break. I think that's something that everybody who's listening could start doing today that can make a difference. Um, And for some of you, 
it might make sense for that better break to be something that is explicitly related to your relationship with God. Um, maybe it is doing something like midday prayers or um, a spiritual reading for 10 minutes a day or um, something, you know, one of my favorite prayers is Jesus, what are we going to do with me? And like just coming to Jesus with whatever's going on in a moment and praying about that. Um, some of you who are feeling a bit maybe estranged from God, or you're not sure you're just, you're, you're not willing to face that squarely. The better break can be something like having a dance party. Um, it can be listening to up your uplifting music or, um, you know, texting, texting a friend and, um, have, you know, laughing about something. So they're like cuddling a, a pet, you know, <laughs> there, there are a lot of things that can represent a better break. I have, I have this, um, in fact, if, if you want 50 of Janice's ideas for how to take a better break that take five minutes or less, go to, um, hormonesoupresource.com. Let's include that in the show notes. We'll, yeah. we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah, and it, it's just a little PDF, and it has Janice's fifty ideas of how how to do that. Um, because That's I'm just, great. I really want people to be able to like two day after listening to this podcast to know, I know one way yeah. to help any given hour feel a little better, and that's to take a better break. Yep, I love that, and and you know. That's one of the things I love about, I think, our conversation today. It's not just throwing more homework at a person. Because yeah. I know when you're at your lowest, the last thing you want is more homework. Yeah. But it man, can't be too hard. It has to be daily. It is yeah. doable. Doable. Yeah. Doable. Yeah. You get those life-giving routines and man, uh, that, yeah. that just adds so much strength. So Janice, hey, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I had a great time today. Well, that was a great conversation with Janice and... Love to have you around. I hope it's helpful. I mean, what do you think, Dave? I mean, you, you talk with a lot of young adults, the youngins these days. Um, <laughs> is that where they're living? I I think the the thing I appreciate most about the the chat is that she once like we talked about this in the intro, but she she gives ways forward. And I so even in the book and even in the conversation, in in these sort of four quadrants, she talked about thoughts, emotions, rhythms, fulfillment. You know, immediately when I read it and even in, in hearing her speak about it, I'm like, man, the thoughts area is where I struggle. And rather than just say, oh, man, why do I struggle there? I feel like I have some some ways forward, some practical. Uh, I think she I can't remember the word she used for them now, but just these these daily small, these these better habits, these um, these things that could like form us daily because I'm not I'm not into giant uh problem scene with no solution and i yeah, feel like daily gave, rhythms yeah the, i feel like that the the solution she kind of gives uh are practical and they're doable um so because when you're in a hard place right i mean you want something that's helpful but you don't want something that is just feels like an added weight and yeah I, I think the problem right with with some of the extreme self-help stuff right? Is that it focuses so much on the self where again, it's kind of like she talked about it's, you know, it's a self-help Barbie. It's just you know, <laughs> go out and, you know, give yourself a spa day and, and this kind of stuff. And it's one-time fixes. And it's a series of one-time fixes that don't really end up fixing the, the root cause. Um, but then on, on the flip side, 
I think sometimes we can over-spiritualize it and just kind of put such weight on people that are struggling with, you know, whether it's depression and anxiety and struggling with, with frankly, um, technological challenges, this connection that we have, that people in history just have not experienced to this degree. Certainly yeah. different experiences, right? There's some that are way more traumatic, but, but it's just different what we face today. And yeah, I think it's new challenges and also... You know, even she she mentioned when I think of self-care, sometimes I think a very personal thing. But, you know, she spends her life interacting with others and trying to help them forward. And also she mentioned so many community helps when she was sort of struggling with her faith and trying to figure out how everything fit as she went into college. The right. importance of just embodied communities to move this forward. And, you know, sort of the joke about the spa day and the fishing trip, like these once every few months, once a year things, a good vacation is not going to heal a poorly constructed daily routine. And I just, yeah. I think we need to reflect maybe as com coming out of this, like not that we like to her point, cut everything else, cut everything out, but cultivating um, this sort of fruitful life. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, no, that no, is that's... sustainable. Yeah. That's that's exactly exactly because, I mean, again, you don't want to put overburden people, but having a way forward is just the hope that that brings is is just um, is just so powerful because when you don't have hope, that's when you know intense discouragement uh, sets in because you just don't yeah. see any path forward. But when you know, okay, here's one step I can take. Here's another step I can take. Um, to help my thoughts, to help the way I respond, to help the way I feel in, in these situations um, makes all the difference. To her point, you know, rarely when, you know, January 1st rolls around and people go on the carnivore diet, sorry if you are in our audience and just only eat meat, um, God bless you. But that's not sustainable, you know? And so, like, I'm never going to eat anything again but gruel and broccoli. Well, like, okay. But that's not going to, you know, that's going to work for three weeks and you can drop whatever thing you were feeling guilty about. But that's not sustainable long term. And I think to her point, I think forward looks like what what can we do daily to, to sort of re I don't want to say recreate, but transform the 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 everyday of our lives so that yeah. we are not pulling our phone up 300 times. I don't think that's healthy. Right. So, yeah, no, it's, it's just the daily rhythms. I think that's so much bigger than just doing one huge thing for yourself. I think that's yeah. your email concept. Is, is that, I mean, that's a great idea. Not everyone doesn't have to do that. Everyone maybe doesn't struggle with yeah. getting a notification about their email. Maybe it's something else for you. I have, I have no idea, but a small adjustment. I like Dallas Willard sort of like experiment with the spiritual, um, sort of like the, the means of grace, like sort of experiment with some of these things. Why not try try taking email off your phone for a week and see what it see what it does. Does it bring more peace to you? Because if it does, that might be something that you should consider long term. It's not a big adjustment. You can go sit at your desktop or your laptop and get your email. But little things that could maybe produce a large impact. That's that'd be very interested in those type of things. Well, to your point, she quotes Dallas Willard, and he says the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. Love that. And you think you make one change, it's the multiple multiplication effect, the compounding yep. effect. You make one five minute change, right? In your daily routine, you compound that by 365. That's a huge change. 
right? Yeah. You do that consistently time after time. Um, that's a big thing. So long story, pick up Genesis book. Um, and, and that kind of helps you walk through some of the adjustments that you can make. So, all right, we're out of here. Thanks for listening, watching as the case may be. Thank you for listening to the Monday Christian Podcast. To support our vision and find new ways to put your faith into action throughout the week, visit themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.